Well, good morning, everyone, and I'm glad you're here. Hey, I don't know if you saw the interview, but they were interviewing Michael Jordan, and they asked him if he thought that his Chicago Bulls championship team should, uh, could beat um, LeBron's uh, Lakers. And he said, absolutely, no question. And so they asked him, by how many points? And he said, three. And they said, why only three points? And Jordan said, because most of us are in our 60s now. <laughs> oh, okay. We're in chapter 32. If you want to open your Bibles to Deuteronomy 32. Um, next week, I think it is, we start Joshua. Isn't that exciting? Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, realizing there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And I pray, Heavenly Father, as your word is broken open this morning, that it would minister to each one who's here. Those that are saved, they might be encouraged. Those that are backslidden, they might be lifted up. Those that aren't saved would come to know you. And so, Father, I pray that you would use your word and use this instrument to minister to these, your people. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, chapter 32 is what we would, we would call uh, David's swan song. It actually reads like the songs of David. And uh, Moses, I mean, swan song. Because he's writing this just before he dies. And so he's letting the children of Israel know everything that's going to happen and his love for them and his love for the Lord. Now, and we're starting off with verses 1 through 4 of chapter 32. And you know, the thing we have to understand as we look at all of Scripture, all of Scripture is based on God's love. God loves us, each one of us, individually, by name, more than we can even comprehend. And because of that, he has done everything to bring us into right relationship with him. Because anyone who has any sense recognizes that this life is but a mist. This is from James. This life is but a mist. It appears for a moment and then vanishes. But yet the decisions that we make in this life are going to determine where we spend eternity. And understand, there is eternity. Because besides having this body, we have a soul and spirit. The soul is our self-identity, our personality, who we are. And we have a spirit that when it's quickened by the Holy Spirit, we have relationship with God. And so who we are as a person never dies. The non-material can never die. And that is our soul. And so one day, you and I are going to have to give an account for our soul. And the fact is, none of us are good enough to reach the perfection God requires for heaven. But Jesus Christ did it for us. Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect, sinless life. And in his love, he died, took our every single sin that we that we are deserving punishment for, and he died on the cross. And then he rose again to bring life to all who call upon his name. So in Jesus we have hope. So when we read portions like this, Moses is, is explaining to them how much God loves them, and then also prophesying that they're going to fall far from him. But even in that state where they are so far from God, they can repent and can come back into his presence. God's word is amazing. So verse 1 of chapter 32. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. 
Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as rain drops on the tender herb and as showers on the grass. No, because here's what he's proclaiming. For I proclaim what? The name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. And that's taken from the Hebrew tesor, and it literally means refuge, a place of hiding. And um, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just, a God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. So teaching the word of God is like fresh rain on a parched heart. Can you remember when you first came into a church and you heard the word of God, really heard the word of God, not just sermonettes, but the word of God, and it just, it just filled your heart with joy, and it was like water on a parched land, and, and it just caused you to blossom in your heart with love for God. It's absolutely amazing. Because we have to realize that this world has nothing to offer but lies, promises it can't keep, and hope that can never be obtained. That's what this world has to offer. But the word of God, the name of Yahweh, our great God and Savior, speaks only truth and righteousness. The words of men are like quicksand that have no foundation and only suck you down into misery and death. But the word of God is a solid foundation, and it stands, it's a sure, fast place for us to be in a world that is so unsure. Because he, the rock, cannot be shaken. And when we're standing on that rock, neither can we be shaken. Because we belong to the Lord. Now move down to verse 5. They had corrupted themselves. They are not his children. Now understand, Moses is prophesying. They haven't even gone into the land yet. At this point, they love their Lord. But he's going to explain that when they come into the land, because they're going to become very complacent, they're going to turn from him. So this is a prophecy, not only warning them of what's going to happen, but encouraging them of what they need to do about it when it does happen. They have corrupted themselves. They are not his children because of their blemish, a perverse and crooked generation. Do you thus deal with the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? He is not your father who brought... Is he not your father who, who bought you? Has he not made you and established you? Uh, you know, he's the one who established them. He established them in Israel, in the nation, uh, in the land of the Canaanites. Verse 8, when the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when he uh, separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion, listen, for the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. We are the prize that Jesus Christ desires. And he paid the full price that anyone who calls upon his name can come into the family of God and have that assurance. Anyone. And I love it that it says anyone. No one's excluded. In Jeremiah, you know, we have to understand uh, one of the things that he's also talking about here is that when people start falling into sin, 
It's going to keep pulling them down and down unless some, someone warns them. And that's the call he's given to the people. Because when we are helping people to, or enabling them to continue in their corruption, that's not love. We're not doing them any favor, you understand. In Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But then in verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. So we have to realize God is the one who's able to search and know our hearts. And we also have to realize there are consequences to sin. Sin, all sin can be forgiven. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. So all sin can be forgiven. But sometimes there are consequences to sin. You understand what I mean? And uh, you hurt someone's feelings. You betray someone. You're unfaithful to someone. Whatever it might be, you can be forgiven, but that consequence is always there. And that's the reason as believers, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we need to always be asking the Lord, Lord, you lead me today. Lead me, not into temptation, but lead me into your ways everlasting, O Lord. In Jeremiah, I love it because it's telling us the heart is deceitful above all else. And the heart, the cardiac, our inner man, it, it, it can deceive us because when we want to do something, we can make excuses for it. Even though in our heart of hearts we know it's wrong. So our heart can be deceitful. You know, people say, well, just follow your heart. Uh, maybe not. <laughs> Because sometimes your heart can say, go here, and the Holy Spirit's saying, no, you need to go, go here. And um, the thing is, if we think there are no consequences to sin, then we deceive ourselves. And, uh, it, but it's not about the consequences. It's about what the consequences should produce in us. See, when you fall a sin and there are consequences, you know it should, what it should produce in you? A desire to cry out to God. Forgive me, God, a sinner. And guess what? According to his word, he forgives you. So consequences of our sin are not necessarily a bad thing. It can be the very wake-up call that we need to confess and repent to the Lord. Because God is able to you know, forgive all sin. And we also have to realize that confession is not enough. Did you know that? Confession isn't enough. A lot of people say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I did that, I'm sorry I did that. They really are sorry they did that. But unless you turn from it, are you really sorry? So repentance is required to go along with confession. Lord, I confess what I'm doing is wrong, and I repent. The word repent means to turn around. In other words, I'm going this way, I'm going to turn around and go this way. And we have to understand that, that God is patient with us, wishing for none to perish, but when we find ourselves falling to sin, we need to repent. Lord, I don't want to do this anymore, and with your help, I can turn it around. Verse 10 of this chapter. He found me in a desert land, and in a wasteland, a howling uh, wilderness, and he encircled me. He instructed, um, he instructed him. He kept him in the apple of his eye. So Saul talking about how God found the children of Israel, and they were in Egyptian slavery in the wilderness, and yet they still were the apple of his eye. They were his chosen people. 
And so that's why he came in and he rescued them. And I love verse 11. He said, as an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings. So the Lord alone led him, and there was no foreign god with him. He made him ride in the heights of the earth, that he might eat the produce of the fields. He made him draw honey from the rock, and oil from the flinty rock, and curds from the cattle, and the milk of the flock, with the fat of lambs, and rams uh, of the breed of Bashan, and goats with the choicest wheat, and drank wine, the blood of grapes, that Jeshuron, and Jeshuron is a Hebrew word that means upright. It's another name for Israel. So whenever you see Jeshuron, it's talking about uh, Israel. But Jeshuron grew, grew fat and kicked, and grew fat and grew thick. Um, you are obese. Then the, the, then the, 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 then the, I'm sorry. Then he forsook God who made him, and scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation. So we have to understand what this is telling us is that so often when things are going really well, it can cause us to take our eyes off the Lord. You know, when things are, are, are horrible, we're going through hard times, it's so easy for us to be crying, oh God, help me, Jesus, help me, Lord, I don't know what to do, you give me wisdom, Lord. But then when everything's going great, it's kind of easy to say, you know, I got this, I'm okay, Lord, everything's going fine. But the reality is, we need the Lord every bit as much when things are going great as we need the Lord when everything is going downhill, you know, it's going south. In fact, sometimes we need the Lord even more then because it's so easy to, to be distracted and to be dissuaded by this world to fall into the things that it desires to trap us in. Because when the Lord found us, we have to understand we were wretched. And yet he encircled us with his love. Why? That we might be saved. The Lord is patient, wishing for none to perish, for all to come to salvation. And so when the Lord finds us in our worst conditions, his love breaks through for no other reason than he wants to bring us into his family. I mean, think about it. When we're in our worst state, God wants us to be in his family. I mean, what a blessing that is, because sometimes we've all found ourselves in the worst state, and God still wants us in his family. Because there is... It, there are no people that are beyond God's love. No one is beyond God's love. And once we give ourselves to the Lord, it he surrounds us with his love. And uh, he'll not take us, allow us to be taken captive by the world. You know, an eagle stirs up its nest to make it comfortable for its, its uh, young and then spreads its wings over them to keep them from the rain and the sun. And then when danger comes, can even bear them up on its wings. And so we have to understand that God always desires to protect us. But the world and the flesh never give up on its desires to take us captive. You know why? Satan never takes a break. Satan never says, well, you know what? I've tormented this person and tempted this person enough. I think I'll give them a break for a while. No, 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 no. He never takes a break. He's relentless in his desire to try to pull us away. And we might be thinking, well, do you really think that Satan is walking around with horns trying to tempt us and take us away from the, the, from the Lord? Well, he doesn't have to do that. Number one, he has all kinds of 
demonic uh, followers, fallen angels. But the reality is, it's just the world. Satan has created, has caused this world to be in the state it's in. And this world is doing everything it can to pull us away. You know, there's a scripture that talks about even the thoughts and the imaginations of their hearts they could accomplish. There's nothing. Think of any sin you can think of. I mean, most any sin. It's available today. It's available. And all you have to do is take a step in that direction. And that's the reason I think in the times in which we're living, it requires us to be more committed to the Lord than any other time in history. There are things, when I was a kid, that weren't even available, that there they are now. Just go and grab it. It's amazing. I remember when uh, I was in college, which is a long time ago, if you were caught with marijuana, cannabis, sativa, cannabis, sativa, that's what it's called. Uh, if you were caught with that, you'd go to jail. Now you can get a prescription for it. And people say, well, it's just one more drug. Well, maybe it is. The only thing I know, I'm making a confession, when I was in college, I used to smoke it. And uh, it makes you very indifferent. Uh, and it is not like taking a painkiller or taking anything else. I know that the um, cannabis that they use, uh, they remove the tetrahydrocannabinol. They remove the part that is supposed to make you drunk but, or high. But the point is, it's available. Everything's available. Any, you know, drugs are available. Anything's available. And therefore, the, the greatest danger the world has ever been in is at the time in which we're living. To be a Christian requires us to keep our focus on the Lord and not on the world. And, um, and the greatest danger in our walk with the Lord is when we become fat and complacent. And the word that's used here in, in the Hebrew doesn't literally mean fat like we think of it. It, it just means full. So when we become fat and complacent, everything's going great, life is super, man, I'm feeling really good. That is when we can be the most vulnerable to the temptation of Satan because we want to keep it that way. I mean, really think about it. If you were ever tempted with, hey, I'll tell you what, you do this or that and you'll live, but if you don't do it, you'll die. And even though you know it's sin, what would you do? I mean, what is your life? Well, your life, physical life, is but a mist. It appears for a moment and then vanishes, according to James. But you were bought with a price. Your life belongs to God. Your life is a great treasure. And Jesus went and sold everything he had for that pearl of great price, which is you. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? And so we have to remember that our response to backsliding always has to be to confess and repent. And as I mentioned before, it's not enough just to confess. A lot of people are good at that. Oh, I know I did that. I shouldn't have done that. I know I was wrong. I shouldn't have. But then we have to repent. We have to be willing to turn around. And um, see, here's the problem. Confession can just be a blurred out emotion from the heart where repentance requires you to take action. And that's hard for us to do sometimes. Oh, Lord, I'm so sorry I don't spend enough time in the Word and in prayer. Please forgive me, Lord. Then the next night, Oh, Lord, I'm so sorry that I don't spend enough time in the Word and being in your presence, Then the, and so forth and so forth. Repentance would be the next night you spend time in the Word 
and in relationship with the Lord through prayer and, and meditation. So we have to realize that we have to turn from it. If, if you uh, have a problem with any kind of sin, you have to confess that it's wrong, then you have to stop doing it. It's not enough just to say it's wrong. You have to stop doing it in order to show that your heart is right with God and that you truly are repenting. And here's the wonderful thing. When you repent, it's God who gives you the strength. I can't do it on my own, but the Lord can. And that's what we have to always remember. <clears throat> now, um, those whom the Lord called, okay? And he said, you have become a perverse generation. And we have to realize that all of this from the Lord is because he's jealous for them. Now, it's not like human jealousy. <clears throat> human jealousy oftentimes is an unfounded emotion. But the jealousy that the Lord has is, you're mine, and you're being taken captive, and I'm jealous for you. I, I, I don't want you to be taken captive. I want you to be turned around and come back to me. That's the kind of jealousy the Lord has because it's always based on love and grace. Not the kind of jealousy that humans have. Now, um, we find in verses 22 through 23, uh, I think one of the most sobering portions in this uh, chapter, in verses 22 through 23. Um, For a fire is kindled in my anger, and shall burn to the lowest hell. It shall consume the earth with her increase, and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. I will heap disaster on them. You see, to be found outside of the grace of God, either at death or at his coming for the church, is the most tragic thing you can think about. It's the most tragic thing that there could be. Because the reality is, there is a hell. You know, I've heard people say, you know the Bible doesn't really speak of hell. Uh, yes, it does. No one taught on hell more than Jesus. But hell is not a threat. Hell isn't even really a punishment. Hell is the consequences of rejecting God and the free gift of salvation. He doesn't want anyone to perish. That's what Scripture says. He wishes for none to perish. And so we have to realize it should be very sobering to us. If we died without Jesus Christ, without being born again of the Spirit, the only consequence that we can face is hell. The absence of God, complete darkness. And we know hell is a real place because we have uh, the account of Lazarus and the rich man. And when Jesus uses a formal name, it's an actual account. It's not just a parable you know, or some kind of a simile that he's sharing. And he talked about there was a man named Lazarus, and um, he died. He was a very poor man who sat at the gates of a rich man and just desired to eat the crumbs that fell from his table. And it says Lazarus died and went to the bosom of Abraham. And then the rich man died, and it said went to hell. And he, we know that they had self-realization because the rich man is crying out, Oh, Father Abraham, he said, Could you please send Lazarus to dip his fingers in water and just cool my tongue? And Abraham said to him, Son, you had your good things, and he had, Lazarus had his bad in life. And he said, Besides that, there's a great gulf between us that cannot be crossed. And so we have to understand that 
you will have, not you, you know, personally, but any person, will have, self, will have conscious awareness either in hell or in heaven. And when we're in heaven, it's going to be the most glorious thing in the world. You understand? No more tears, no more sorrow, no more suffering. When we're in heaven, everything's going to be perfect. The former things will n- not be remembered. You know, all of us have things that we remember and we wish we couldn't. We, w- you know, we wish they weren't there, those memories, right? Well, in heaven, everything that is unclean will be completely removed. And our relationship with God will be so beautiful. In verses 26 through 35, I would have said, I will dash them in pieces. I will make memory of them to cease among the men. And then uh, verse 28, For they are a nation void of counsel, nor is there any understanding in them. Oh, that they were wise, and they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. Verse 30, how could one chase a thousand and two put 10,000 to flight unless the rock, once again, that's the same rock that means refuge, uh, had had sold them? Because we have to understand it's God's plea here for them to return, to return to him. Because in verse 35 it says, vengeance is mine and recompense. Um, Their foot shall slip uh, in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things of uh, things to come uh, hasten hasten them up, hasten upon them. I have a hard time reading this stupid band aid. <laughs> it covers my eye, and I'm looking and I see. <laughs> anyway, in Hebrews uh, ten thirty one it says, "It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God." To reject God's love and his free gift of salvation is the most tragic thing any person can do because it's free. If someone says, but I can't afford it or I can't obtain it, you don't have to. It's free. Well, I have to get myself all cleaned up and washed up. I have to be a good person before I can come to the Lord. If that were the case, you, didn't, you wouldn't need the Lord. You'd come to the Lord just as you are. Remember in the Billy Graham Crusades, the last song they, say, they sang was Just As I Am, Without One Plea. So we come to the Lord just as we are. He's the one who does the work in us. And for some, he works faster than he does in others, but he's working in each one of us as we give our heart and life to him. And that's why uh, Hebrews 10.31 says that. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And um, in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, I'm going to read a few verses there. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that they may know God is manifest in them. For God has, has uh, shown it to them. For, listen to this. This is the part. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are carefully seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So from the beginning of the world, he has manifested himself by his invisible qualities and his Godhead, that there is no one who can just think, you know, you guys all know I used to be a a science teacher many years ago. And um, I remember before I was saved, I, I couldn't imagine how anyone could not accept evolution. Oh, there's so much scientific proof. But then after I got saved and started really digging into it, most of the scientific proof of evolution is just definitions to terminology that was made up. The reality is 
evolution makes no sense because something came from nothing, there was nothing in it, it exploded. And, and you think the complexity of life, the complexity of, of, of vegetation, and to think that each one evolved separately. And then, as far as humankind is concerned, we went through this whole evolutionary process, and yet transitional forms are not found. You know, there should be thousands and thousands of transitional forms that are being dug up by archaeologists, and none are found. And they admit that themselves. They'll say, one of, the, one of the dilemmas we have is we don't have transitional forms. And the reason we don't is because we were created by God. I mean, to me, it's a lot easier to believe that there is a God who stands above heaven and earth who created everything than the fact that there is nothing, and here we are. Why would we even have a sense of conscience, of knowing good and, and from evil, of wanting to do the right thing, if, there, if it wasn't for the fact that we were created by a perfect God? Because the reality is, when the world can, can bring you to a place where you, ex, where you reject God's creation, you're rejecting his authority, and you're rejecting all that, who he is. Because the very first book of the Bible is all about how God created. And we can't reject that. And the fact of the matter is, go to Creation Science Institute. You should, Samuel Morris, you, you, the... The first, not the one who's uh, in charge now, but his father was an archaeologist, paleontologist. And you see him in debates, and he rips these people apart from all these prestigious universities all over the world because there's nothing that they have to stand on. And he has a whole lot to stand on. And if you've never uh, gone to Answers in Genesis, um, you want to go there. And they have a website with so many beautiful things and these great scientists. And... Um, also, if you get a chance, visit the Ark Encounter and the Creation Museum. We just went there for our anniversary. It was absolutely awesome. Verse 36, For the Lord will judge his people and have compassion on his servants. When he sees that their power is gone and there is uh, no one remaining um, bond or free, he will say, Where are their gods? The rock which they uh, sought refuge. Nor see that I am... Even I am he, and there is no God besides me. I kill, and I make alive. I wound, and I heal. Nor is there anyone who can deliver from my hand. And so he's bringing, making the point of how important it is that the human race must comprehend the fact that there is a God, there is a creator, and the right of judgment is his. And those who obey, he gives deliverance. And those who reject his authority are delivered over to damnation. But we have to understand, because God's nature is love. God is love. Because God's nature is love, he's always trying to reveal himself to mankind. You know, if you try to have goodness without God, it doesn't last. And that's what happened. Israel went into the land. They loved the Lord. They sacrificed to him. And, and, made their, and they just loved the Lord. And everything went well. And then when they got complacent and they thought, well, maybe we've done this with our own hand, and they started turning from the Lord, that's when everything fell apart. And so we have to make sure that doesn't happen with us in our walk with the Lord. I've been walking with the Lord a whole lot of years, and there's never a day that I ever think, well, maybe I can handle it on my own from here. I can't. I'm just as, as weak as I was the day I was saved. The only thing is I've learned to trust in the Lord more. And that's what we have to do.
trust in the Lord more. Because those who obey, he gives deliverance. And um, it's an amazing thing. Because we are all without excuse. You know that. In Romans 1.20 it says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. We have no excuse. Because we have to realize it is only God who can give us the power over death. Not just physical, but spiritual as well. And um, we need to have a right concept of God. Because it would be very frightening if we didn't know that God's very nature is love, wouldn't it? Uh, And he always lives to make intercession for you and I. In fact, in Hebrews 7.25 it says, Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, listen, since he always lives to make intercession for them. That's God's love. He always wants to make intercession for us, to bring us back into relationship with him. And so, actually, the conclusion of this chapter is going to be picked up in the next service with Pastor Frank Jr., But um, even uh, though God loved Moses, this is the end of this chapter, even though God loved Moses and he spoke to him as a friend speaks to a friend, because of what Moses did when he struck the rock twice, God said you will not enter into the land. It doesn't mean God hated him. It doesn't mean God wanted to send him to hell. Moses was God's friend. But God was showing him there are consequences to sin. And the consequence is you're not going to go in and lead the people. I'm sending Joshua in before you to do that. And that is what this chapter is all about and I think is preparing the children of Israel for the land that they're going into and making them sober and realize you can't just you know, automatically think you'll never make a mistake. I mean, as believers, I think all of us who've been Walking with the Lord long enough, we know we can make mistakes. We can mess up. But always remember this. Confess and repent. And you shall be forgiven. Whatever sin, you shall be forgiven. But always remember, too, that it's possible that there are consequences to sin. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and we thank you for your word and for the love that you so freely pour out upon each one of us. And I ask, Heavenly Father, that you would take this portion and help us apply it to our heart and lives, that we would learn to love you more than we've ever loved you before, that we might be your witnesses in this very dark and dying world, that you might use us to bring many others into the saving knowledge of yourself. I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, my friends.